So Psalm 69, 4 through 8, 30 to 36. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel, for it is your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's sons. And then down to verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When they humble see it, they will be glad. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and the cities of Judah. Build up the cities of Judah and the people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15. If you're using the Pew Bibles, uh, the black Bibles in the pew in front of you, you can open to page 902. We're going to be picking up in verse 12. Of chapter 15. In our text this morning, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the consequences of their salvation. Last week, we heard about the wonders of Christ's saving love. When you are saved, you are united to Christ, you are engrafted into the vine. That is Jesus. It's a a wonderful truth, but a relationship that is as significant as that necessarily impacts the other relationships that are around you. There's going to be a reordering and a reprioritizing of your earthly relationships that come as a consequence of your heavenly relationship with Jesus Christ. There are going to be some changes that the disciples need to know about. And so Jesus prepares them to accept the consequences of his love. Our text this morning is rooted in a pretty basic truth. Love brings change. Love brings change. For example, if you start dating someone, it's a blessing, but it brings change. That primary relationship causes you to reprioritize, to reevaluate your other relationships. And we can see that dynamic most clearly in marriage. In marriage, there is a God-ordained leaving and cleaving that takes place. A new family comes about because They are leaving the families of origin. Love changes things. Love has consequences. And so I want to ask today, what are the consequences of Christ's saving love? And as we hear in our text, the consequences of salvation are both good and hard. Your relationship with Christ transforms your relationship with the church, And your relationship with Christ transforms your relationship 
with the world. These are the consequences of love. So please join me in the scriptures as we hear God's holy word, beginning in John chapter 15, verse 12, and going through chapter 16, verse 4. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But in all these things, but, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word, uh, a word of comfort and also a, a challenging word. And so I pray now that you would speak to us Speak to us, minister to us in our, uh, in, in our uh, most inner places, places where we need to hear of connection, connection with you and connection with others. Uh, help us in the places where we mourn losses, where we mourn rejection from the world. Help us, O oh God, to see your will and your ways. Prepare us now for the consequences of your saving love in our lives. Bring to us, O Lord, the spirit of illumination so that we would hear these true things from your word and so that we would also experience your closeness to us. We ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. So what happens when you are loved by Christ 
and when you begin to love him in return. When you enter into a saving relationship with Jesus, your other relationships begin to change, bringing both good and hard consequences. Jesus begins our passage today by telling us the good consequence. Here's the good consequence of Jesus' saving love. When you are united to Christ, you are united to the church. When you are united to Christ, you are united to the church. Jesus has been pressing this point home since chapter 13. To be a Christian is to belong to the church community. There is no other choice for Christians. No other choice. There's no idea of an independent Christian that's apart from the church. The only thing that Jesus tells us is that if you are a Christian, you are a part of the church. Let's go back. Chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And now he tells us the heart of his commandments. Here is his main commandment. This is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. We've already seen in a couple of chapters already that Jesus' sacrificial love is the model for our love. But here Jesus tells us something new. He takes a little bit new of a dynamic in this sacrificial love conversation. Christians are not only to love each other sacrificially, Christians are to love each other as friends. Listen to how Jesus unpacks friendship. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now, friendship was a big deal in the Roman Empire. Uh, The people that Jesus was talking to would be very aware of all of the different conversations around friendship. Philosophers, politicians all talked about friendship. But in the Roman Empire, there were some strict guidelines that governed friendship. In in that society, friendship was governed by uh, status and reciprocity. That's what based a friendship. The foundation for any friendship was status and reciprocity. You would only be friends with people who are of equal social status with you, and you would only be friends with people who could repay your kindnesses with similar gifts or services or affections. So again, reciprocity, status. But Jesus turns that definition of friendship completely upside down. Jesus calls his disciples friends, even though they couldn't offer him anything in return. Even though they were clearly of an inferior status than him. He was the master. They were the followers. Verse 16, he reminds them, you did not choose me, I have chosen you. Jesus had all of the power. Jesus had all of the glory, but he elevates their status, treating his servants as friends. Verse 15 says that he has given full, privileged access to all of the Father's redemptive plans and purposes. In those days, mere servants would never have access to any kind of privileged information like that. If a king was going to throw a big party... He would never tell his servants 
all of his private, personal intentions for the party. He would just tell his servants, go do this, go buy this, go set this up, make this happen. He would only entrust his personal, private intentions for the party to his friends. And Jesus tells us now that he has brought us into the inside of that circle of the Trinity. He has given us insider information to the intentions of God the Father. He wants to save the world through Christ. It's a privilege of being a friend. He, and then he moves on from that privileged information to give the disciples the greatest gift that any friend could ever give. He gives his life. So he treats the disciples, he calls the disciples his friends, even though they didn't deserve it at all. And let's think for a moment of what that means for you. If you are a Christian, Jesus considers you a friend. He considers you a friend. He treats you like a friend, even though you don't deserve it. He knows that you can't pay him back for salvation, but yet he gives it to you anyways. He knows that you have no possibility of giving him anything in return, that you can't pay him back. You can't offer him some sort of service that would be equal to the service that he offers you, but he doesn't, he doesn't care about that. He calls you a friend. And so that means that you don't need to be afraid of Jesus. You don't need to be afraid of losing your salvation if you sin. You don't need to cover up your sins and hide from him in fear. You are safe with Jesus because he offers you friendship purely based on grace. And that is a profound gift. It's a wonderful gift to be called a friend of God. In the Old Testament, there were only two people that were ever called friends of God. And now Jesus freely gives that title to each and every one of you. If you are a Christian, you are a friend of God by grace. And now think of what that means for the church. Again, Jesus is talking about the church context here, the consequences of salvation for church relationships. What does this matter, this gracious friendship to the church community? Well, our world is not actually that much different from the Roman Empire. Our friendships are still largely based on status and reciprocity. Are you like me? And can you give me what I'm looking for? That's usually what we base friendships and relationships on in our society. And that means that you are always at risk of losing your friends. Status and reciprocity are always an unstable foundation for any relationship. Because it means that at the second that that changes, the second that you let someone down, fail to repay them, or lose that privileged status, then the relationship evaporates. Jesus tells the church to love differently. In the church, friendships are not based on status or race or gender or income or background or interests or even social skills. Friendships in the church are based on Christ. And Christ alone, in Christ, you all are equals. You're saints and you're sinners together in the same room. So you don't have to perform 
And you don't have to worry about paying anybody back. You are free to belong here. You are free to be here among friends. Of course, this great grace comes with an obligation. Every single one of us needs to take up Jesus' command to love personally. But when you experience Christ's love, and when you understand and embrace this reality that you are a friend of God by grace, the relationships in your life are transformed by that. You will actually begin to want to share that Christ-like love with others. You will want to treat other Christians the way that Jesus has treated you. All of a sudden, mysteriously, miraculously, their pain starts to matter to you. Their suffering matters to you. You think that their needs are actually very important, and you will want to pour yourself out, to lay down your life, so to speak, for the good of the other people. And you'll want to do that freely as Friends, your relationship with Christ transforms your relationship with the church. You now belong to the loving community of the church as a friend. And that's a really good gift, especially considering what Jesus goes on to say next. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Verse 18, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. That's the hard consequence. Your relationship with Christ also transforms your relationship with the world. And when you are united to Christ, you are separated from the world. When you're united to Christ, you are separated from the world. And so the world is going to reject your message Listen with me to verses uh, 16 and 27 of chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And then verse 27, and you also will bear witness. These two verses refer to the evangelistic mission of the church. Christians are sent out into the world as Christ's witnesses. We testify to him. We must. There's a, there's a burden in these passages and in those two verses. We must tell other people that the Lamb of God, Jesus, has come to take away the sins of the world. We must tell other people about the joys of being able to abide in Christ. But if someone is entrenched in sin, that message is repulsive. And so the world will reject your message. That's a painful thing for us. Because like Jesus says in verses 22 and 24, once you know, you have no excuse. And it hurts when you tell someone uh, some extremely good news and then they refuse to believe it to their own harm. But there's more to the story. The world rejects your message because the world rejects your Savior. Verse 18 again, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. There is a fundamental conflict between Jesus and the world. The world in John being the realm of human sin and rebellion. Jesus brings sin, rebellion, and salvation into the light. 
But as Jesus himself said in John 3, the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The world rejects your savior. And that's painful. It's sad to see people turn their back on the one that you love and the one that calls you a friend. It's painful to see people reject Jesus and it gets worse. The world rejects your savior because the world rejects your heavenly father. Jesus put it plainly in verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. The world rejects Jesus because ultimately they are rejecting God. And the sad thing is that they are rejecting God even if they think they're doing something for God, if they're serving God in the process. Verse 2, indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. That is at its basis, the profound tragedy of unbelief. People will think that it is good or smart or noble to reject Christianity, but in the process, they are rejecting the the one thing that they really crave more than anything else, the one thing that they think that they're seeking. They're rejecting God, even though they think that they are seeking God. And so, uh, so they are rejecting God, which is painful to us as well. Because your heavenly father is wonderful. He hears and answers prayer. He plans and accomplishes salvation. He adopts you as children. He sent his son to die for you. Our heavenly father is wonderful. And it's painful to see people reject this wonderful God. And so because of all of these things, the world will reject you. The world will reject you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. You, friends, will experience rejection. It may be that you are passed over for a job promotion or that you lose out on relationships or opportunities with other people. It may be that you lose respect in your neighborhood or your community. It might mean that people at school call you names or think worse of you because of your relationship with Christ. For our brothers and sisters around the world, it may cost them their homes or their families or their lives. Your faith in Christ will bring the world's scorn and it will hurt That's why Jesus insists at the beginning of chapter 16, I have said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. In verse 4, I said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. He prepares us for the hard consequence that follows from our salvation so that we are not caught off guard. He wants us to remain faithful Even though there's going to be pressure on us, when you are united to Christ, you are separated from the world. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean go out and be mean on purpose. 
or offend other people on purpose. In his testimony to all of the people, even though they heaped scorn upon Christ, Jesus never sinned. Verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Brothers and sisters, our witness needs to be exactly the same as that. We need to make sure that if people are going to reject us, that it is also without a cause. We need to make sure that the only offense in our witness is the gospel itself. We can't be mean. We can't be judgmental or petty. We must be gracious. We must be winsome, disarming even in our witness so that it is only out of spiritual hardness that people reject us. Again, they're going to hate us. But make sure that they only hate us because of the gospel and not your attitude. Here's the other thing it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you can evangelize without hope. Just because you know that some people are going to reject the gospel doesn't mean that you can give up hope. Again, no one would appreciate a testimony where you fatalistically assume that they're going to reject it. No one is going to enjoy a joyless, pessimistic, judgmental testimony of the faith. Jesus is clear in this passage. Some people will convert. Verse 20 again, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. There's going to be progress of the gospel with different people. Again, verse 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Jesus anticipates suffering, but he also anticipates that people will convert. And so because of that, share the gospel with hope. Share the gospel with joy and anticipation even while you prepare your hearts for the possibility and eventuality of rejection from some people. So friends, these are the consequences of love. If we were to just do a little bit of a recap, here are the consequences of love. When you're united to Christ, you're united to the church. That's the good consequence. And when you're united to Christ, you're separated from the world. That's the hard consequence. Jesus tells us both so that we would be prepared. And so I want to ask us this morning, how can we prepare ourselves for the consequences of love? I think we need to ask ourselves three very important questions to prepare ourselves to take up these consequences well. Here's the first question. What if this isn't true of my experience? What if this isn't true of my experience? What if I have never experienced the church or the world like this? One of the more painful realities that we as Christians need to own is that we frequently don't love other Christians the way that Jesus commanded. Churches are frequently exclusive or insular, and that actually wounds Christians. So for all of the times that I have heard people reject Christianity because of the doctrines, I've heard just as many stories of people turning away from Christianity because of the way that they have been treated in the church. And so Jesus' command here is a stark call for every single one of us to personally ask, do I love like Jesus calls me to love? Do I love other Christians the way that Jesus wants me to? And if not, now is the time 
to take up that commandment with full commitment. We should even ask ourselves throughout the week, maybe who have I overlooked in this community? If I sort of have the worldly eyes of status and reciprocity on when I come into the church, then I will have overlooked someone. Who have I overlooked? Who needs my love this week? And if you have been hurt by inhospitable church communities, please don't give up. Please don't turn away from the church because you have been wounded by the church. Jesus wants you to be part of the solution. And so instead of calling it quits, show Christ-like love by loving the church, even when the church doesn't always deserve it. Jesus honors those efforts. Now, maybe you've never experienced rejection from the world. And when I was talking through that litany of things that the world's going to reject you, you say, that's never happened to me. And if that's you, then take some time to reevaluate your life and your witness. Maybe you are not separated from the world enough. And so you, in your normal goings about life, look exactly like the world. You don't look any different from the non-Christians around you. And so there's no reason for them to reject you because you act just like them. Or maybe you are so separated from the world that there is no rejection from the world because you're only surrounded by Christians at all times. And so there's no opportunities for you to witness. Or maybe you have worked so hard to have a non-offensive faith that you never end up pushing the question of Jesus himself. And so this is an opportunity for all of us to re-examine Jesus' call. We are called to be his witnesses. He wants us to testify to him in the world. He sends us that we would go and that we would bear fruit. So take some time to examine yourself and examine where you may be resisting that call in your life. So what, what if this isn't true of my experience? That's uh, the first important question. Here's the second. Where's our hope? What is our hope? What is our hope to actually love and live like Jesus calls us to? Let's be honest, at times these are really hard commands that Jesus is calling us to. He says, love the church the way that Christ loved the church. And continue to witness faithfully in the world even when you experience rejection. What is our hope? It's Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus equips us to do everything that he commands. He equips us to love the church. He laid down his life for us on the cross. He called us friends first. And so our love for the church flows out of Jesus' love for us. He equips us to love the church. And he equips us to be his faithful witnesses in the world. Listen to verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. The Spirit is the co-witness with us. Jesus testify, or the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus through us. He is equipping us, and so that's why Jesus sent him. It's because Jesus equips us for everything he wants us to do. He gives himself for us so that we would love the church. He sends the Holy Spirit so that we would be his witnesses in the world. What is our hope? 
Our hope is Jesus and everything that he gives to us. He will not leave us alone. And here's the third question, the third important question for us to prepare ourselves for the consequences of love. What is one thing I can do to grow? What is one thing I can do to grow in Christian love or Christian witness? Jesus tells us in our passage, it's prayer. Prayer is the one thing you can do to grow in both love and witness. Verses 16 and 17, and I I know I've read these multiple times, but hear them afresh. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, again, the evangelistic mission, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The command to pray or the promise about prayer is at the intersection of Christian witness and Christian love. And pay attention to that. This is the third time since the beginning of chapter 14 that Jesus gives this sweeping promise of a blank check Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. And it applies every single time specifically to Christian witness and Christian love. If you want to grow in any of these areas, pray. Prayer is one of the best ways to deepen a Christian friendship. Without a doubt, When I think of my life, the closest people that are in my life, the closest friends that I have, are the people that I pray with the most often. At numerous points in my life, good friends have become great friends simply because we started to pray together. And so if you are longing for church community, if you are longing for deep Christian friendships, start with prayer. And I know that it can sound scary or intimidating or maybe even a little bit awkward at times to ask someone that you don't know that well, hey, can we pray together? But trust me, it is one thing that will absolutely enrich your friendships in this church. And so instead of just going out to lunch with people or just calling people on the phone, having coffee, make sure that in your conversations you are praying together. Don't just say, I'll try to remember to pray for you. Pray right then. Take some time immediately to pray together. Again, prayer will deepen your Christian fellowship. Take the lead. I encourage all of you, be leaders in this with each other. Step step up to this task and invite each other. Ask, can we please pray? And if you're struggling with Christian witness, then pray. The Apostle Paul constantly is asking for help in this. He's constantly saying, pray for me so that I would be able to do the witnessing work that I have to do. And it's a wonderful model for us. When we are struggling in our witness, pray. Pray that God would open doors for us to speak. Pray that God would cause us to be bold. Pray that God would allow other people to hear the gospel and trust in Christ for the first time. And if you are struggling with loss and the sting of the world's rejection, pray. You can pray with confidence. Jesus says, again, for the third time in just a few short verses, whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he may do. If you want to grow in these areas, the one thing you can do to grow is prayer. 
Love has consequences. Your relationship with Christ transforms your relationship with the church. Your relationship with Christ transforms your relationship with the world. And so lean into these consequences knowing that Jesus will provide. He is your savior. He is your friend. Abide in his love and your life will bear fruit that will abide forever to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we probably at the first thing we should say is thank you that you provide for us so abundantly. Thank you that you have called us friends. And so you're not calling us to something that you were unwilling to do. Thank you for sending the Spirit so that we would be able to be faithful to you we confess before you the ways that we have not lived up to these commands. We have uh, not loved you as we ought to, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Forgive us for our failings, O oh God. Forgive us for our failings uh, to properly separate ourselves from the world as you have called us to, and forgive us that we had frequently do not share and testify to you as we should. Forgive us, O oh God. Uh, but we thank you as we wrap up this prayer. We thank you that we don't need to be afraid of you. And that our salvation is not contingent on these things. You give us salvation freely. So in the grace of salvation, strengthen us for the call. Help us to take up these, uh, these callings in faith in a new and fresh way this week. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.